Hello and welcome to History for Weirdos. We're your hosts, Andrew and Stephanie. And each week, we're going to take you on a journey into the strange, obscure, and relentlessly entertaining corners of human history. Now listen up, friends, because it's about to get weird. What's going on, weirdos? It's your boy, Andrew. And Stephanie. And welcome back to the History for Weirdos podcast, episode number 23. Yay! Woohoo! We're back! We're back! We're back! We're back! I'm so happy to be here. I know! It's been such a pleasure, I think, recording, mm-hmm. doing all the research for these episodes. I agree. And again, you know, something that I have to mention is all the emails that we get supporting us from you guys is so amazing yes please continue to do that yeah it really does brighten our day yeah uh, our days i should say okay so steph let's get right down to business here okay (laughs) what do you have for us which person or event or something or whatever weird thing do you have to introduce okay so it's complicated it's complicated complicated. i like it i have in this episode it's an event it's a group of people and a movement and it's an individual person oh wow yeah so it's one of those stories where i started off being like oh i want to talk about this right and then as i did research it was essentially i wanted to speak about a group of women Mm -hmm. um very iconic group of women and then as i did research i ended up um finding a singular person's story Oh. Um, so yeah, without further ado, I don't know how to best summarize this, but I today will be talking about Las Adelitas of the Mexican Revolution and the story of Amelio Robles Avila. Oh my gosh. Okay, so this is the, is this the second American, or American, Mexican Revolution, twentieth early 20th century? This is what is known as the Mexican Revolution, not their War of Independence. Oh, okay, I see. Mm-hmm. I see. Okay. So, my sources are... Oh, you do the sources first. Oh, fancy, fancy. I do, I do, because I don't want to forget. Uh, <laughs> Fair. Is, there was no... Uh, I'm sure there are, but I personally didn't utilize any articles written by, like, uh, an individual that was named. Mm-hmm. It was, like, Britannica on the Mexican Revolution, History.com on the Mexican Revolution, yeah. PBS, and Wikipedia. So, I don't have, like, a specific person to cite for that. But, okay, now let me tell you... I took a history of Mexico class mm-hmm. my senior year of college, my extra semester that yeah. I did um, for USC. And I do not remember, I did not remember much about the Mexican Revolution. Again, not the War of Independence, the Revolution. And I thought it was because at that time I was struggling a lot with depression and I was coming out of depression and that affects your memory, right? Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, that's why I can't remember. No. I was looking at this all over again just now and I was like, no, that's because this shit doesn't make any sense. It's so complicated. <laughs> it wasn't me. It's, it's very layered. It is. Okay. So it so, wasn't like two sides fighting each other. No. It sounds like there's multiple fronts. Exactly. It's very decentralized mm. um, and I will get into that a little bit more, but I will say kind of like a a disclosure thing. I'm not going to go into a lot of the details of the Mexican Revolution. Right. But you'll see. 
I'll just stop talking. Okay. So the Mexican... <laughs> I should not stop talking because I'm hosting an episode. The Mexican Revolution, again, not the War of Independence from Spain, lasted roughly from 1910 to 1920. Wow. Throughout this episode, I will actually give different dates on that because it depends on the historical source as to when they say it ended. Wow. Um... And it was not, as you said, Andrew, a single unified struggle, but a long-lasting series of regional conflicts. Wow. Um, it sounded like it was predominantly in northern Mexico. Okay. And the revolution unfolded in response to the regime of President Porfirio Diaz, who was president from, pres- I guess more dictator, it sounds like, mm-hmm. from 1880 to 1911. Oh, wow. So that's like 31 years. Yeah. We don't like that. We don't like that. That's not a vibe. It's not a vibe. (laughs) (laughs) That's what Mexico as a people said. They're like, this isn't a vibe, dude. (laughs) During the presidential election of 1910, Diaz had initially said, oh, okay, no, like, I won't run. Because people were like, you're not running, dude. You're just a dictator. Stop. He was like, okay, guys, it's 1910. I'm not going to run anymore. 30 years. I mean, why would you want to? I'd be like, I'm so sick of it. I feel like presidents after four or eight years, a lot of the time, they're like, I'm done. Our U.S. presidents, at least, because that's who I've paid the most attention to, look so aged after their first term. I know, especially the two-timers. The two-timers. If you look at, like, I mean, Barack Obama, you look at George W. Bush, they look I, I don't. I'm not casting shade on them. No, but they look horrible. Well, they look so aged. They look so yeah. different than their inauguration days. It just shows how stressful this job well, must Abraham be. Abraham Lincoln, four years. That's that poor guy. Well, I mean, it makes he, sense what he had to go through. Yeah, but. and he was shot, so of course he looked terrible. Oh my god! That's not good. before he was shot. Yeah. Oh, okay. I was like, well, yeah. I mean, like, I was talking like his last like like photograph. Versus like his like when he was first oh, inaugurated. Oh, I can kind of picture it. Yeah. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. it's really bad. So he says, uh, Diaz is like, I'm not running, and then he's like, Oh my god, what if I ran? <laughs> <laughs> and then he, it was just like that. though, Yeah, right? he was like, Wait, what, you guys? What if I run? And he runs again. Oh gosh. He runs again, and yeah, it's not fun. So moving forward. Like I said, this revolution is extremely layered and complex. It's really interesting, though. Mm-hmm. Very, very interesting. And it could be, as I, as I was like trying to research it, I had originally written like three pages just on the revolution. I was like, no, it's too long, and it's taking away from the story I want to tell. Mm-hmm. I was like, this could be an entire podcast. It would be like the, the Mexican Revolution. Oh, I bet. Yeah, it's really cool. Um, but this episode, I really want to highlight... The Adelitas slash Las Soldaderas, and I will get into details to what that means, as well as the life of Adelio, I believe is his first name, Adelio, Amelio, I'm so sorry, Amelio Robles Avila. So I'm going to get into them in a bit, but I'm going to oversimplify the Mexican Revolution and summarize it by directly quoting history.com. Oh, Because okay. I don't want anyone coming at me that oh. I gave a poor summary. Oh, okay. History.com gave a poor summary <laughs> if you guys have any critiques. Okay. Fair point. Fair So fair. this is, quote, history.com. The Mexican Revolution, which began in 1910, ended dictatorship in Mexico and established a constitutional republic. Okay. A number of groups led by revolutionaries, including very famous names, Francisco Madero, Pascual Orozco, Pancho Villa, mm. Emiliano Zapata, 
participated in the long and costly conflict. Though a constitution was drafted in 1917, and it formalized many of the reforms sought by these rebel groups, um, periodic violence continued until the 1930s. Oh my god, wow. And then you'll see later, I give even different dates than that. So that was the quote from Mm history.com. Very complicated. Right. Overall, it's good to see. It was, it's to me, and again, if there are any listeners in Mexico who went to school there and grew up obviously learning this, I grew up in the United States. My mom is from Mexico, but she didn't really talk to me about this stuff. To me, it seemed more like a civil war. Yeah. Versus when I think of revolution, I think of folks fighting a specific oppressor. Right. Like a, a, almost like a foreign oppressor is what I think of. Yeah. But they were fighting their own dictator. Right. Um, and it's not like they were throwing off, like, you know, Maximilian. Mm-hmm. Or they were throwing off the Spanish. Right? right. It sounds like a civil war, but it is a revolution in that they there was a status quo mm-hmm. um, in Mexico in terms of politics and even social status quos on who could own land. Oh. What rights did labor workers have? Um, which really excluded the people who are of indigenous descent, mm-hmm. as always, they get excluded, as well as people who were very mixed, right. known as mestizos. Those folks had, li- like, legally couldn't own the land of their ancestors, the land they were working on. Oh my gosh. Um, so, you know what it kind of sounds like mm-hmm. a little bit, and, and maybe not as formalized, but it sounds a lot like, like the Indian caste system. Kind of. But, again, not as formalized. Yeah. Yes. The Indian caste system, or the, I wouldn't say it's Indian. In Hinduism, there's oh, a Hinduism. caste. Hinduism. I, yeah. I apologize. Yeah. The, there's a caste system that is very structured. Yeah. This, oh, you know what it kind of reminds me of sometimes is when, like, almost like feudalism. Feudalism. Oh, interesting. Like the lords and the peasants. And the, yeah. And they old... refer, you'll hear me, maybe, maybe I took it out, but all of these articles did refer to the laboring class as mm-hmm. the peasantry and the peasant class. Oh, interesting. So I didn't know enough about what that means mm-hmm. historically to feel that I was like, are they just dissing these people? Or is this like, does this <laughs> have peasant. a, yeah, is this a very specific definition that applies here i don't right. know so it began you might be right that actually not on second thought uh-huh. i think that, i think like almost like a quasi-feudal system is probably a more accurate term yeah so messed up so i understand why there was these multiple again this is a decentralized revolution mm-hmm. but ultimately although it took a very long time and like the history.com article said very costly it did bring about a new era for mexico uh, a better one for most people So, in that story, there is a story of a group of women who are known by two names. One, Las Soldaderas. Okay. Like the female soldiers. Right. Or two, Las Adelitas. And I will get to the origin of that name in a moment. Oh, okay. So, this war also acted as a social revolution for many women who abandoned their traditional female roles and fought alongside the men in this revolution. Ah, cool. Yeah, that's right. These women (laughs) were known... (laughs) Yeah, that's right. That's right. Again, they were known as soldaderas or adelitas. The name adelita comes from a famous corrido. A corrido is a ballad. Mm, They're a big, big part of Mexican culture are corrido songs. And 
they tell, they often tell stories of love, of war, of politics. They're ballads. They're these long poetic tales. Yeah. Um, and this one corrido was called La Adelita, who was based on a woman who fought in Madero's army, one of the revolutionaries. Mm-hmm. She was a woman fighting in Madero's army, and I we can assume that her name was Adela. Because Adelita is just like a diminutive, a nickname for the name Adela. Oh, okay. But she, this woman, this Adelita, became kind of like the figure representing all of these revolutionary oh, women. Oh, I see. So even today, they're still often referred to as, when you're talking about them in a historical context, or you're talking about rebellious women, you might refer to them as an Adelita. Okay. Yeah. So because of the song, the image of Adelita is both in Mexico and the U.S. to this day is a very inspirational symbol of women warriors, women rebels, women revolutionaries. Um, there are, you find like lots of restaurants are called like Las Adelitas or <laughs> Adelita. There's a coffee company called, I think, Adelita Coffee. Oh, nice. It's a big... It's like a proud thing. It's a very proud thing to be called that to claim ancestors that are Adelitas. Mm. A lot of these... Adelitas or soldaderas is the other name, were women who traveled with their husbands or their other male family members to help provide, you know, the more domestic things that you think of, like right. medicine and food and helping with the animals, um, which I feel like used to be super common practice in lots of cultures, right? Women would go to war with their husbands yeah, and live in the camp. and Yeah, I mean, especially, like, if, if it's a long campaign, right? Yeah. It could, I'd, I'd say that's definitely a big thing. Yeah. Also, you know, women have always, even in ancient times, always followed around, you know, the, the baggage train, right? Usually yeah. More as a, either, like, helping with domestic animals or, you know, with any sort of other chores. Medicine, or food. Medicine or, you know, the, the other thing, the world's oldest profession as well. Right, right. That's also really common to provide sex sex right. work to the soldiers. Exactly. Um, that's not, I think, what these soldaderas were most famously known for, though. I think some of them were called that, that were there with their husbands and stuff. But they're, they were more so known as, again, being women that were fighting and it was notable. So they were like, they were handed rifles. They were yes, like, they were handed shoot. rifles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the image that many of us might be familiar with, this might ring a bell for folks who may not know exactly what I'm talking about. It's think of a, um, a woman wearing a long skirt, like a high-waisted long skirt. She's wearing a big hat, a sombrero, mm-hmm. and she has the bullets crossed over her chest. Yeah, yeah. I know right? exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, those are ver- those are from the Mexican also, Revolution. Also, Villa did that same thing, right? Yeah, and that's how the women wore them too. That's so cool. Mm-hmm. So even today, these are very iconic images that we hold. Um, some of the Adelitas, some of these soldaderas, even there's records that they received officer status. Oh, wow. um, again, it's decentralized, so it's not like. It really depended on who your general was. Right. If you could receive officer status as a woman or not. Amongst this group, there is a subgroup of soldaderas who would assume male identities. Oh. A la Mulan. Oh. Right? Let's get down to... Sorry. I'm done. <laughs> no, that was perfect. Thank you. I'm always down for that song. Um, they would go by typically like a male version of their name. Oh, like, okay. Like, your name is Juana, you'd go by Juan, right? Right. 
just so that's a smart way to lie everyone here's tips on lying keep it as close to the truth as possible straight from the mouth of a sociopath <laughs> so, they, so they were smart they're they'd smart. go by the male ver- me stephanie would be stefan in the war right uh, okay i see mm-hmm. they'd go by the male version of their names and they just they'd only wear men's clothing i imagine i didn't find all of these articles were written by dudes not mm. chill for me i was like what did what did they do? Like, as a woman, I practically want to know, did they bind their breasts back? What right. did they do when they menstruated? Like, how did they keep up a male identity? Maybe there is deeper research. I happen to not find it. Mm-hmm. If anyone out there listening knows, even if it's not for the Mexican Revolution, but women masking as men in battle. Yeah. What were, like, how do you do that, like, logistically? Right, that's that's actually a very good question. I never really questioned it. Jeez, Louise, imagine if you become pregnant or something. Oof. Yeah, that's going to be tough. That was Just a big like, giveaway. Yeah, I got really fast. <laughs> Drinking too many beers on the <laughs> yeah. road. It's a beer belly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so according to a Columbia hey, University professor <laughs> um, of Latin American history, his name is Pablo Picato, many of the women would actually assume these male identities to protect themselves from sexual violence um, or smart execution. Some of the machista men, machista is a Latino term for essentially like what we hear in today's like toxic masculinity, right? Extreme mm-hmm. limited anti-female sentiments, anti-anything feminine. So that's machista culture. I see. You and I have talked about it yeah, um, a lot. And it's something that unfortunately can still prevail. Um, again, I speak for like my experience as someone who's Mexican-American. I definitely still see it sometimes. Um, but it was so severe that some of these women are chilling. They're, they're, they're freaking coronelas. They're colonels. Uh, colonels, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> they're colonels. And others are want to fight just as equally and are afraid for their life. So they're hiding. I think it's so interesting Yeah. how different it was depending on whose army you were fighting for. Right. Isn't that crazy? That is crazy. So, yeah, some of the dudes resented the female warriors. They were known as freaks. Some didn't want any soldaderas in their army and would kill them if they were found. Not nice. Not chill, guys. Not <laughs> chill. So now we're going to jump into the story of a person by the name of Amelio Robles Avila. So is... You will see. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Amelio was a colonel, right? That's Colonel. Col- it looks like colonel. I hate that. Yeah, it's like, you know, the the British equivalent of lieutenant makes no sense. They call it a lieutenant, and I don't understand that. It doesn't read that way. Yeah, but yeah, and the same with the American colonel. and British version of colonel. It's like, it's colonel. Why? Why? There's no, like, R. In Spanish, there is. It's coronel, and it's written like coronel. That so makes a lot more sense. very confusing. Yeah, that is weird. Let's go trip me up, you guys. I'm going to say colonel at some point. <laughs> colonial. <laughs> colonial. Amelio was a colonial. No, a colonel during the Mexican Revolution who at birth was Amelia. Ah, I see. So Robles was born a female on November 3rd in 1889 in the state of Guerrero. Hey, again, my abuela lives in Guerrero. That's where I grew up going every summer. 
in the midst of summer to Acapulco for a month. Which, by the way, guys, we went to Acapulco once in February, <laughs> and it was hot. It's very hot. It was February. February. I was have. <laughs> I was born in February, and I still have trouble saying it. <laughs> it's okay. Um, and it was really hot. So yeah. In Guys, summer, in summer, I can't even, it must be unbearable. We do June or July every year, really upsettingly hot. Um, I don't recommend it, but I love, <laughs> love the state of Guerrero, which means warrior. Yeah. Um, badass state, badass peoples. And that's where our homie Robles is from. Um, he was born to Casmiro Robles and Josefa Avila. His father was a wealthy farmer, actually, who owned a big mezcal factory. Oh, so sick. it came from some wealth, and but though because she was born a woman, she only studied till the fourth grade. Oh. They were like, "That's enough for you." Enough <laughs> learning for you, girl. Yeah, uh, studied at an all-girls school, a school for ladies, is what they called it. So I bet they taught them not what they were teaching the boys. Right in Chilpancingo, Guerrero. Um, and even at a young age, Robles was interested in typically quote unquote like male activities, mm. like horseback riding, shooting things, <laughs> <laughs> shooting things, shooting things. <laughs> oh, the word I used is marksman. Marksman, very yeah. good marksman. Te- yeah, technically, that's the more official title. Not shooting things. Not shooting things. No. He likes shooting things and Fair. the outside. And animals and dirt. The, what they deem as male things, right? Like, she'd be like, quote unquote, a tomboy if we were. Yes, they were like. In the 90s. You're kind of strange. We yeah. sent you to a school for ladies, but you're not doing lady things. Strange. Again, I want to say this is a. I should have said this at the beginning, but for me, the reason I, I was even drawn. You know how I said I was drawn to an initial story and then I found another? Right. I was drawn to the story of Las Soldaderas, who are representative of like. Females, people who identify as women, who threw away conventional norms to fight as men, fight mm-hmm. alongside men. And then I found the story of Amelio, and I think they're weirdos in the best way, which yeah. is usually what we mean. Right. In this podcast, when we say weirdos and we call you guys weirdos and stuff like that, it's because, like, I think historically the definition of normal is boring. Is boring. Yeah. And it's arbitrary, right? I love learning about people who did things differently so that we today could do things differently. Yeah. So that's what I really wanted to highlight in this story. Um, yeah. Well, thank so, you. Thank course. you for that explanation. <laughs> yeah. It was beautiful. Aw, thanks, babe. I want to, because I don't want people to be like, oh, she's calling them weird for liking boy things. No, it's weird like, in a good way. Yeah, it's like, yeah, they are weird, but it's awesome. In an awesome way. Okay, so. Good at shooting things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you for highlighting that once again. I like that. Yeah, I actually, and I, I, I'm like being sincere. Like, I really love that. Thank you. So Robles joined the Revolutionary Army in 1911 or 1912. It's okay. not totally clear. Um, possibly when a general passed through his town. Um, and pressure was mounting against President Diaz to resign, right? This is what President Diaz had like been like, oh my God, you guys, what if I run in 1910 and then ran and then quote unquote won in a rigged election? Mm. So it's 1911 and people are like, why are you still here? This was very clearly a rigged election. And this is, yeah, so there's just a lot of anti-Diaz sentiment right. and Robles is fired up and joins the army. Um, 
Between August and November of 1911, Robles was sent to the Gulf of Mexico in a commission in order to obtain money from oil companies for the revolutionary cause. Mm, interesting. Okay. So at this point, she or he is going by Amelia, their birth name, and they're like, you're a lady, go get us monies, right? From oil things. Are these like Mexican or American? I don't know, actually. There was quite a bit of American involvement, which looked real messy, so I stopped researching it. I was like, I don't know if the United States was doing good involvement, so I just ignored it. I know. That's like, yeah, it's like America. Again, this is such... A complex revolution. Yeah, it sounds like it. It sounds like there's so many facets, and we're not even covering all of them. No, we're covering a really narrow highlight reel of it. Right. Um, But two years later, after this, Robles began to dress as a man and went by the name Amelio Mm -hmm. and demanded to be treated as a man. And again, I don't know the details I would have loved to have known what that initial reaction was like, but it sounds like people were like, okay. And again, wasn't the only person born female that started dressing like a man in the war. So maybe that made it more safe, but he went by he, Mm -hmm. um, moving forward while other women like females still wanted to go by she. Right. So others that were born female, but then ended up, um, transitioning into, a male life during it's it's just so cool that this revolution gave birth for this to even happen for some people so they could live more authentically right there are other folks that we know about that did the same thing maria de la luz barrera i don't know what their male name was but was born female transitioned to male and angel previously known as angela jimenez another these were like higher ranking people in the army who were born female and were like, I actually would like to be referred to as a man from now on. And for some reason, the other revolutionaries were like, okay. Maybe because it was like at a time of war and yeah. it was like as seen as a necessity rather than just like a luxury, you know? Right. They didn't have time to sit around and argue. What does this mean? Right. It was like, we're, we got to go fight this Diaz dude because he's a real son of a bitch. And you guys are good fighters. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's all that mattered. Yeah. So interesting. So from 1913 to 1918, Robles fought with the Zapatistas, Emiliano Zapata's army. Right. He's the dude, for those who may not know, with the sick mustache. Yes. Like, As, imagine just being, and like, you're like, you're a revolutionary, and you do a lot to, you're like, you're, you want freedom for your country, mm-hmm. but you're known because you have a sick stash. Yeah, like, when they show <laughs> Mexican revolutionaries in movies, like, or like, Honestly, like, to the level of caricature almost, they show yeah. these dudes with, like, the super windy curly mustaches. That's because of him. I mean, they might be caricatures, but they're really awesome. They're awesome. I'm sure he would love it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and Robles became a colonel. A colonel? A colonel. <laughs> That's all, I only read that correctly because I wrote it in Spanish. <laughs> Robles oh my became God, a colonel. I love you. Okay. Um, and then, unfortunately, Emiliano Zapata was killed. Um... In battle, again, friends, I didn't look into how or why. You all have Google. Um, Yeah. (laughs) So then Robles' men joined forces with another revolutionary group, which was Alvaro Obregón's army. Oh, I don't know him. This army, this sect, essentially is what leads to uh, like a quote-unquote win, right? That's Mm -hmm. what leads to the new constitution eventually being actually upheld is this group so robles is on the winning side 
Um, So following the big, long, lengthy military phase of this revolution, um, Robles continues to support Álvaro Obregón's political efforts as I mentioned. Right. Um, so this war didn't have a clear ending. Many historians say 1920, which is, I think, what I initially cited. You did, yeah. But sporadic, there was sporadic violence and clashes um, between federal troops and different rebel forces even fighting each other. Um, oh, wow. Which continued until the reformist president, Lázaro Cárdenas, that name I, I knew growing up, obviously... Zapata and Pancho Villa too, but right. Lázaro Cárdenas, I was like, I don't know this person, yeah. <laughs> uh, took office in 1934 and institutionalized, 1934, finally institutionalized the reforms that were fought for during the revolution and that had been written to the constitution in 1917. Oh my God. So there was like a new constitution written and then they were like, but we're not going to follow it because it's like super boring. <laughs> and then... The people were like, it's not boring. It's our lives. Yeah. So like, it took 17 years to actually implement it. Isn't that crazy? That is crazy. And then what? No, you said, I, do you say 19? No, 1934. 1934. So, so that's 24 years after that 1910 election. Yes. And then some scholars that I found argue that the revolution did not truly end until the 1940s. World War II, guys. Yeah. So it, it was super mind-blowing for me because my abue, my grandma, mm-hmm. was born in 1928. Damn, she's so old. <laughs> <laughs> so it was just like most of... So much of her young life, there were these skirmishes. Yeah. There was still a sense of revolution and change in the air. Right. Like, she would have been really young, like, during the the 30s. And there were still, like, little rebel clashes that were, like, holdovers from, like, the 1910s, 19-teens? Teens. 19-teens. 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 I like it. (laughs) It's just crazy to think about. And I have to ask her more about it, but I do know that her father was involved I have no idea, like, what army, what force, what side. and, and He's always on the winning side. Yeah, because he, he was chilling. He was chilling. He was chilling. But I'm going to ask her more, um, or ask my older uncles more, because I got really excited learning about this. Like, oh, what was my family doing? Right, Where yeah. were they? Well, they were there and very, like, in Michoacán, the state of Michoacán, which is also very well known for rebellion and revolution and things. So I just imagine they had some sort of involvement. In right, something. they must have. Mm-hmm. So, as for Robles, he fell in love aww, aww. with a woman named Angela Torres in the 1930s. They were married eventually and they adopted a daughter. So even with like some skirmishes still going on, this was in the 1930s, he was able to settle down and start a family. He lived as a man from the age of 24 when he joined the revolutionary forces until his death. Oh, wow. Okay. According to a like neighbors and stuff like that, even when he settled down, if anyone like mistakenly called Robles Doña, which is like ma'am almost, mm-hmm. it's like a, a term of, in, of respect to right. an older woman, he would get out his gun and correct them. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Again, the shooting things, so, good at shooting things yes. forever. <laughs> yeah. 
So therefore, historians do describe Robles as a transgender male. I was about to say, it sounds very much so. Yeah. Um, and really, I'm so surprised and proud and happy for him, at least, that he was able to live out his life that way and no one right. bothered him. I know. I guess if you're, you know, fighting with revolutionaries, no you have respect. Really, yeah, no one's going to question you. Yeah, and especially if you take out your gun. Especially if you take out your gun, <laughs> people are, you know, like, you know what? I don't have any questions. Yeah, you're good. You're good. I don't, I don't care. In 1970, the Mexican Secretary of National Defense even recognized Robles as a veteran of the revolution, and rece- he received the honor of the Medalla al Merito Revolucion. Revolutionario, the Revolutionary Merit Award. So oh. he was like even a decorated war veteran. Yeah. Which is so cool. So, Amelio Robles Avila, dude. Dude. Lived until the age of 95. Oh my gosh, he had a long time. Long life. Um, he died on December 9th of 1984. That's so crazy. I, just a different world at that time. I know. I also feel like all the people that I know in like Mexican pueblos and stuff like that, like my great aunts and cousins and stuff, everyone lives until like ninety something. It's something in the water, like water, yeah, or in the lifestyle and the food quality. Right. Oh, I mean Mexican food. Yeah, I mean we mentioned her already. My abue is in their nineties. Uh, how old? Ninety-three. What year is she born again? Nineteen twenty-eight. So, not yeah, ninety-three. Yeah, and her eldest sister. Passed away at 95, and wow. so on. Her brothers have unfortunately passed at different ages, you know, younger. But yeah. most of the women in my family live until their 90s. So. That's insane. Watch out, babe. Yeah, I guess I am stuck with you for life. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> so, whether they identified as male or identified as female and dressed as men for survival, or they wore skirts with bullets. Yeah. These folks, all of these folks, went against limiting cultural norms to fight to make their country a better place. Wow. And that's why I really wanted to talk about them and honor them as the best type of weirdos. Yeah, definitely. The end. The end. Woo! (laughs) Thank you, thank you. Yes, yes, of course. That was so interesting. Thank you so much for sharing that. I had... No idea. I know that there was some female involvement yeah. in like the the Mexican home. I always want to say American Revolution, the Mexican Revolution, but I had no idea to like what extent. Super pervasive. Yeah. Very common. The fact that there are, are corridos or ballads are written about them shows how, again, aside from the the random not chill generals that would want right. to execute them, it sounds like it was. Very accepted for the most part. I know, which is so surprising. Yeah. That's so cool. So that is the story of Las Adelitas and the story of Amelio Robles Avila. You you know what? Like you at the beginning mentioned that there's a bunch of stories that were going to be wound together. And I think you did a really good job I, of making it to one story. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I will say uh, it's Hispanic Heritage Month. Oh, no, it was recently. And yeah. I was thinking a lot September, and I was thinking a lot about my culture, and uh, I love reading and, and authors that I love and stuff. And as I was writing this, I was like, wow, it's very inherent in our culture, because I think it's very inherent in our reality that yeah. stories are very, very wound up, and there's so many yes. layers, and they're very nonlinear. Yeah. I think the way, even when our families are gathered, and 
eating and talking over a meal, the stories aren't linear. Mm -hmm. And so I was at first really self-conscious writing this. I was like, yo, this is confusing. But then I was like, I think it's exactly what it's meant to be. Yeah. It seems like it's very like thematic almost. Very thematic. Yes. Uh, I agree. I I really like that actually. Uh, It's like magical realism, I suppose. And that's it comes from Latin culture. Yes, exactly. So that was a doozy. Apologies. That was a doozy. (laughs) Apologies for the grotesque oversimplification (laughs) I gave of a very important um, revolution that is part of my own history that I don't know about. But, you know, I I don't think it was grotesque oversimplification. It just wasn't within the scope of the story. Wow. You're really... It's almost as if I was a consultant. It's almost like you're really good at rewriting things. (laughs) I love it. Thank you. I really want to watch like a very fun... Fun. Fun. fun, she says when talking about revolution. I know, people like dying. <laughs> I want to watch an entertaining, like, historical period piece that takes place during this time. Yeah, you know what? We did watch that one movie. Uh-huh. I have no idea what it's called. It was in Spanish. It was a Mexican film. Um, oh, like Water made- for Chocolate? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. It was made in the 90s, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. About, and it was set in that time frame. Yeah. Like Water for Chocolate is based off of a book written by... Laura Esquivel, very famous Mexican writer. In Spanish, it's Como Agua para Chocolate. Mm-hmm. And it's a love story, actually. But the backdrop is the Mexican Revolution. You're yes, right. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah. There is a... Oh, snap. One of the sisters. Yes. She's a soldadera. Yes. She ends up being a general. Yes. Mm, very good call, babe. Yeah, that's why it sounded so familiar when you were talking about it. I was like, oh, that's why. This is why I keep you around. This is, see, I can be useful from time to time. Time to time. Time to time. Not consistently, but <laughs> from time to time. Don't talk me up too much. Yes. <laughs> you got to keep my ego in check. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Well, I think that concludes you know this week's episode. Yes. So weirdos, as always, thank you guys so much. We really appreciate it. If you have you know anything you want to add or any mm-hmm. stories you want to tell us or just want to say hi, we love that. You can email us at historyforweirdos at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. And then also we have our Instagram at historyforweirdos. Mm-hmm. Follow me on TikTok at roma.omnia and anything else I'm missing please rate review and subscribe yes yes thank you or if you know someone who you think they might like the podcast in general or just a specific episode um or you want to like talk trash about us like (laughs) to someone you're like wow these guys do not know what they're talking about please share please share the podcast share the podcast with (laughs) your friends help people find us yes absolutely well it's always a pleasure talking with you all weirdos and i guess until next time until next time weirdos goodbye adios